Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they'll all remember that old saying, power corrupts. Hello and welcome to Second Officer Slog. I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host, Jackson. Hello, I'm regular. Yep, you are. We are here to talk about Star Trek. It's episode 21. Even though this is the 20th episode recorded, it will probably not be out before the Discovery recap. Uh, it will not. Yeah. Um, if you listen to our last episode, and you should, uh, things have been a little disheveled, so this episode is late and probably going to be a little short, and it's a mess. It's a mess all around. Uh, don't worry about it. We'll do the best we can today. Yep. Jackson, you finished Enterprise. Yes. Yes, right. Okay, right. Yes, this is technically the next episode. You said you were going to talk about it more this episode. Uh, you are right. I did say that. Hey, Enterprise, good show. Big fan of Enterprise. Also, terrible show. Don't really like Enterprise that much. Both of these things can be true at once. It's not even like they're contradictory. They're just true at the same time. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting because... Uh, as someone who like watched Enterprise like at the end of like I watched DS9, I'm like, oh let's watch Enterprise. People said it's terrible. I was really pleasantly surprised by it, but it's not yep. good. Like it's full of a lot of really awful things. Um it has it has good episodes, uh, it has some neat ideas, but when you hold it up to any other Star Trek, it is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, there are some like incredibly regressive Berman and Braga bullshit on display. Um just throughout. And it's it, so it's regularly like pretty good once you get into it, uh, but usually it's only regularly pretty good for Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was talking about the um, finale with you, which is a uh, loathed finale for many reasons. The only I'm not going to spoil any Enterprise stuff because I know people want to watch it, but this thing I will say because it is mostly a known thing among Star Trek fans. Yes. Uh, but the finale of Enterprise all takes place uh in like a hologram holodeck recording that Riker is watching so Riker is in the episode which means 2005 Jonathan Frakes is in the episode and not only is in the episode is like it has been set within the conflict of the Pegasus or the is it the Pegasus or the drumhead I always get confused uh the Pegasus is the name of the ship I think the episode's yes. name is the Icarus Factor is that right Ooh, I don't know you you will have to tell me um, um but it, no, 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 that's Pegasus what's his father. Drumhead. Um, okay. Sorry for the typing noises. We can't help this. That's fine. We understand. Oh, it totally is called the Pegasus. For some reason, I thought it had a different name. Okay. Drumhead just is a, a different episode with, I think, Picard maybe on trial on that one. I don't remember. Anyway. It's, um... It, they in, artificially insert it into that, and so Riker's watching the end of Enterprise uh, in... Like in the holodeck, so you don't. They're not. It's not technically happening. It's all happening within the construction of the holodeck, which will be important. It like twenty two episodes from now on this show. Uh, it's also um, worth mentioning that because of that, the entire episode is basically like a bunch of montage because the story is not actually coherent or good on the Enterprise end while that's happening. No, it's like just a bunch of stuff is happening, and then a dramatic thing happens, but not for any. Like it literally happens out of nowhere for no reason. Yep. Uh, it it makes it makes the stuff with Kirk in generations seem like well considered. Oh, <laughs> it does though. Yeah, I know. I mean, we'll talk about that shortly, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we sure will. 
Anyway, so the point is, it's a really bad episode. It's, it's terrible in every way, and Riker being there is just embarrassing. He's so old. He's 11 years later, and he's just old now, which is fine. Like, old Jonathan Frakes is fine, uh, but not as Riker. <laughs> um, it's just, it just, it's wrong, especially in the old uniforms. It's all wrong. But the scenes with him and, uh, him and Troy, even though they're like terrible, even though like some of the worst plotting the dialogue uh, has Star Trek has ever had, because there's no conflict to them because there can't be. They're so much better than like anything in Enterprise, just because you're like, oh right, these actors are amazing. Like it is embarrassing. You don't actually want to see him like this. You don't want to see this entire scene. It's all terrible. But just seeing uh, Riker and Troy have a conversation is somehow better than the actual drama in Enterprise because of just how good that is. Um, and so that basically tells you a lot about where Enterprise is at and that it's good stories, but just the actors, they're not, they don't have it in the way that like, they got very lucky with the TNG cast. Like that cast is phenomenal. Um, and yeah, in a way that no other Star Trek cast has been. I guess you could say that of the original series, but I think the TNG cast is better. Uh, yeah, I would also say that it's better. Oh, hilariously, if you look at the Pegasus on Memory Alpha, it says Ark, Riker and the USS Pegasus, one of two. <laughs> now, <laughs> thanks to Enterprise. Uh, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, so overall, I, I enjoyed my time with Enterprise. I think that seasons one and two have a, a very uneven, but have some good, some good episodes. Uh, season three is mostly bad, but has some good episodes. And season four is great. Yep. It's your reward for getting through, like, 15 years of Star Trek. Imagine if they had actually made a season five. If that show had actually been allowed to be... Like, it would never... It was, it's too capped by, like, its premise and by, like, the cast. And its budget. And, and who's running and it. And its budget. <laughs> yeah, because the problem with season four is that it's all shot on DV camera. Yep. Um, and the budget got cut by, like, half. So it just looks like garbage. Uh, and they still go for it. But... <laughs> For example, there is a bit where the, so on one episode they go to Vulcan and they're in some caves in Vulcan, and another episode they go into um uh, to Andoria and there are some caves in Andoria, and they're clearly the same pe- caves just painted white. Great, and it's like the most obvious thing. And I mean, I only noticed because I was watching it like over a, a few days, yep. but like that there is no budget there. It's it's a real bummer. Um, and yeah, I would probably say there were only like fifteen episodes of enterprise maybe a few more but only 15 or so episodes out of the whole run that are like these are great episodes of star trek that don't have to have the caveat of like but within enterprise yes um which isn't a high enough ratio considering how good star trek can be so i would only recommend it for like people who are deep in uh but if you can tolerate that it's it's got a lot of good stuff there's a read never fucked it's also really interesting in the context of like discovery as the midpoint between or not not chronologically the midpoint but thematically the midpoint between enterprise and the original series now yeah we talk about this like when we were first watching discovery but it's really interesting how much like that show builds off this in very deliberate ways without actually like being it at all Because it doesn't take any, like, actual plot canon things from it. Well, like, it doesn't care about it. Enterprise. It, it well, didn't well. up until this past week. <laughs> uh, that's its own thing. Um, but yes, it's, uh, it's a cool show. I'm very excited to get, get on to watching Voyager. Yeah, no. Is that, uh, your, next, is that was... your next project? I don't know. I, didn't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Because I also want to, like, rewatch TNG and stuff. But I'm probably going to pick at all of them at some point. I feel like it's more important to fill in the Star Trek you haven't seen before you go rewatch the Star Trek you have. Just because we yeah. have a podcast, we do. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I'll think about it. For, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter for now. I, I've just finished the show. I'm finishing up school. Yep. It's a good, good show. Star Trek's good. Shocking takes. Yeah, I know. So, uh, this month, we are going to be reading the first Shatnerverse book. Uh, yes. You don't need to know much outside of the or what happens in Star Trek Generations and TNG. And, like, all you need is, like, the most normie, uh, like, Star Trek context to enjoy this story. So, no spoilers. That is true. <laughs> that is kind of true. But it will help if you have seen the deleted director's cutscenes from Star Trek VI. Uh, yeah. Yes, no, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into yes, it. Yes, working, working knowledge of Star Trek Six wouldn't hurt, but we'll cover what's relevant there. Um, so it's called Ashes of Eden. Um, it is written by William Shatner, uh, credited and uncredited. Uh, what is it? Garfield and Judith Reeve Stevens. Yes, I think yes. that's it. I think that's it. I always want to say Garfield second because I'm like, wait, is, I always think that's part of the surname, <laughs> but no, I think it's Judith and Garfield Reeve, Reeve Stevens. Yes. Um, and then next month, we'll be reading the second book in this trilogy called The Return, again, written by William Shatner. That book is uh, exceptionally stupid, is a childhood favorite of mine. I'm really looking forward to reading it again. Um, I can't wait. Episodes this week, we have Mud's Women, which is original series season one, episode three, and Arena, which is original series season one, episode 19. Next month, uh, Jackson doesn't even know what I picked yet. I I don't know. I, what are we doing? We are, are we doing next? We, I assume we're doing TNG episodes. We are not doing TNG episodes. We're going to continue watching important stuff in TOS probably for a little while. Yeah. Okay. I thought that you would think of things that tied into. Uh, we've the seen most of them. We saw okay. Sarek. We know about Key Mendrosen. That's all that actually matters. <laughs> yeah, Key <Mendrosen. laughs> Um We are watching Devil in the Dark original series season one episode twenty six, and we are watching Amok Time TOS season two episode one. Two famous episodes of the original series. I have heard of both of those. Yep. Yeah. You probably know what at least one of them is about. Probably. Because yep. uh, one of them is one of the most famous episodes of Star Trek. Anyway, we are going to have a short musical break and we'll come back and we are going to be talking about these episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> First episode we are talking about today is Mud's Women, the original series, season one, episode three. This first aired the 13th of October, 1966. Teleplay is by Stephen Candle. Story by Gene Roddenberry. Directed by Harvey Hart. It takes place in the year 2266. Jackson, please tell me about Mud's Women. 
Mud's Women begins with the Enterprise uh, tracking another ship, which they initially just contact, but just doesn't return uh, any communications, and to try to lose them goes into an asteroid field, uh, but obviously its engines burn out and they have to beam the beam the crew aboard, uh, and they beam aboard uh, Hardcore Fenton Mud, except he's not Hardcore Fenton Mud, uh, he's Leo... Francis What does Walsh. he introduce himself in? Francis Walsh. I thought it was Leo. Leo Francis Walsh, yeah. Oh, Leo Francis Yes, no, he yes, just sorry. sounds like a serial no. killer. <laughs> yes. Um, so he comes aboard with his three women, who he calls his cargo. The most cartoon villain imaginable. Emphasis on the cartoon. Uh, all the women are, obviously, because this is a 60s Star Trek episode, having a mysterious effect. Uh, on the crew, and no one knows what this mysterious effect is. They're all looking at them, and like it's basically making them all horny in ways that make them like more compliant or whatever. Um, shockingly, aside, this plot is handled worse in 2005. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> anyway, um, this is uh, all a suspicious situation. So they like put mud in like a ship's inquiry, and his his identity comes out because they've got a magic lie detector yes <laughs> that never i think comes up again it was going to be really useful in a lot of situations yeah no for sure uh but they've got a magic lie detector and it works um the problem is so like they are they are gonna just mud's guilty of doing a bunch of bad stuff they don't really seem concerned about the fact that he's shipping women to be wives to colonists um they are more concerned with the fact that he's like running this without a license so well, yeah specifically the situation is he is taking these three women to officious officious three i don't know how that's pronounced i watched this episode a long time ago at this point unfortunately um and yeah. they have all agreed to do this because they are from a planet where their marriage prospects are bad and so they are basically like mail order brides being shipped by him to these miners to be their wives yep uh this is a little bad so obviously he's like sentenced uh to like just be handed over to the authorities uh and kirk says keep him in quarters till then and that, that'll be the end of it it's not the end of it though because when they, he went into the asteroid field the um enterprise burnt out some of its lithium crystals yep. that's lithium crystals because yeah. this is episode three yes. and no one had thought of dilithium yet yeah, no. um so they burn out some crystals and then so they need to they need to redirect themselves to the nearest mining colony which is Rydal 12 I think yep. um, they go there uh, but uh, things are bad because uh, Mud has been able to like contact them through like hacking into the system and has offered them a deal uh, they will only give uh, the lithium over if um, Kirk lets the women go and marry the colonists yeah uh, this seems to be going okay until... Uh, sorry, it's getting a bit foggy for me. Like, So, they beam down, and then a fight breaks out, and then one of the women called Eve like runs away. Yes, because Rigel 12 is a shithole. <laughs> yes, Rigel 12 is a shithole uh, with, like, th three houses and a lot of sand. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the portrayal of what... Uh, living in the Star Trek universe is like in this episode is really depressing. It's like, there's literally no men on our planet because there's only six people there. Uh, so we need to go to another planet with only three people on it. Yeah. And you're like, God damn. Yep, this is what happens and when you're you not in the Federation. We... <laughs> yeah. You think that's an exaggeration, but they get there and there's literally three dudes there. Yeah, no, there's like, there's like three sheds and these dudes are just hard drinking and they, they don't even do their own dishes. No, <laughs> no. 
Um, the episode concludes when they like they do a scan and uh, they're you've searching forgotten for about Eve. the whole plot of this. Uh, shit, the Venus drug. <laughs> I was gonna like mention the drug with the end scene, but uh, yes, no, they've uh, the women have been established to be like beautiful to the point of um, like oh everything's going weird with the ship. Uh, and midway through the episode. Uh, you find out that they're like losing their beauty, and it, they like it's time, and they need to take this magic pill that makes them hot again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eve is like not having it, and isn't like isn't liking treating being like this, and is basically like it's lying. Putting on makeup is a lie, and I'm like, ah, oh, the sixties. But also, they actually <laughs> age when they don't use the drug. So yes, they actually age, but the like the writing around it is really weird. Like a bit where she's not taking the drug, someone looks at her and says she's homely, and I'm like. <laughs> damn it also the the rachel 12 miners despite being three men in a shed care a lot that their wives are beautiful i i I, yeah it's uh hmm everything's there's a world where this was the pilot yes we'll we'll talk about that when we're done we'll finish the Uh, thing yes uh they find eve um and the truth comes out. She takes the, like, uh, one of the colonists has just discovered that his wife, his new wife, has, uh, like, become unhot. Um, and she doesn't have any drugs on her. Uh, and it's too late for them to realize the mistake. But they beam down just in time. And she takes the drug and she becomes hot again. And the man agrees to give the lithium. And everything is solved. Except, twist, because I don't know if you've seen Space Jam, but the drug w- wasn't real. It wasn't a real drug. It was just the confidence, the natural confidence uh, of being young and or just believing in yourself. And so that makes you seem hot now. Except this is the only time he switched the drug. They were actually taking yes. a drug that made them young. So I don't know how this worked, but space magic? I don't know. It Anyway, everyone has self, like Eve has self-confidence. The guys like, take your crystals. Kirk's like, well, mud, you're going to jail. And then they beam out. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> she stays with with her new husband and then he's like well mud you're still coming with me and uh, but because mud's like kind of cooperated with them now in the last act but not really uh he's like it's okay i'll give a character witness at your trial if you think that'll help (laughs) (laughs) it's a bad episode of television so uh this was this script was one of the three submitted when uh NBC yeah I think it was NBC right yes uh ordered a second pilot after the cage they were like uh we need another one and so they submitted three scripts it was this one it was where no man has gone before and the omega glory uh and no correct but it was also uh like an outline that existed alongside the cage and yes, the perfect yeah, world yeah. but it was meant to be one of this the was pilots. this was one of the second pilot like runners up and uh nbc was like we don't think a uh, specifically the quote is uh episode about selling women throughout the galaxy with the guest stars being an intergalactic pimp and three space hookers uh those are quotes from nbc not me uh uh, was appropriate, and thus they made it episode three instead of episode one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I can't believe that this was a thing that it, like existed alongside, like alongside the cage. These these stories both listed, like Gene Wonder wrote both of these, and they both featured women who needed to be like made younger with magic. Yes. <laughs> It's a bit of a recurring theme. Uh, to be fair, the other lady needed to be made like able-bodied and whatever through magic. Oh, that makes it better. Yeah, no, definitely makes it better. <laughs> I just want to be specific. Yeah. 
Um, yes. And then this episode, uh, Mud it became like a fan favorite to the point where Mud comes back once in this series and once in the animated series and then once again in Discovery. And then once again in Discovery. Yeah, I guess twice in Discovery. But uh, yes, no, uh, apparently there were like people writing in letters about how much they loved Mud. Like he is like a classic beloved character in this show. Ark, Harry Mud, three of five. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which uh i don't know mud is pretty contemptible but the fact that no, like the things he does aren't really condemned by anybody so what is contemptible is the 60s not necessarily mud himself yeah he's more contemptible for lying and not having a like license to fire his ship if he apparently had just said oh, oh i'm taking these women to be wives that like because he is explicitly not like selling these women like uh, Orion slave girls or something. Yeah. Uh, like the women are part of this plan and wants to be part of it. In fact, when one of them doesn't want to be part of it, that is like clearly shown as a choice she has made, yeah. uh, and not they've been coerced from the start. Like it's just framed really strangely. Yep. Uh, so the reaction to Mud being a favorite, I feel like, is just divorced from that plot because nobody seems to care that that's like a weird thing pol gender politics wise because it was the 60s but i guess if you divorce it from that he's basically just like a weird space pirate car salesman right so i guess i understand why people liked him yeah he's just a weird like evil i guess but more just cartoonish uh ridiculous man yep. who comes around and says hello i'm gonna be doing this thing and i've got a silly accent yes he is the most 60s actor in a world where everyone is very like staid and spouting off dialogue he comes in like a literal mustache twirling nonsense man <laughs> oh it's so good <laughs> Yep. but yeah this episode i bad. do not like this episode <laughs> no yeah like we talk a bunch about how TOS often goes between episodes that are actually good, episodes that are like bad but entertaining and problematic but very entertaining. Uh, this one's just kind of bad. Yep. Uh, it also, like, like, the actual plot of the episode could just be, like, they talk about how Star Trek is a space western. This episode could just be a western. Yes. And that part is really boring. Like, when they get to Rigel 12 and it's just, like, guys in a shed, they could just be, like, miners in Montana or something, and it would be the exact same show. There's a bit where Guy has not cleaned his pots and pans properly, so he hangs them on his clothesline in the sand to like, let the sand brush off all the dirt. Yep. And, yeah, no, it's just like, huh, okay. This is literally just a Western. Yep, not really, not really what I'm looking for in my, uh, in my Star Trek. The idea that the ship runs on lithium, no wonder this blew up in the 70s when everyone was taking a bunch of drugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all they changed was they put a dye in front of it. Yes, but lithium is like a drug people, like an actual like psychotic drug people take. I get like, is dilithium that much more subtle? Yeah, it's because it's not real, so it just sounds like space stuff. I don't. Hmm. I don't know about this. I think so. Okay. Because you say lithium, I'm like, oh, that's just a thing. Like, Nirvana wrote a song about it. Like, dilithium, you might as well just be saying, like, ODN conduits. It's not a real thing. Nobody cares anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anti-protons. <laughs> uh, I, I think the memory I've said is only two episodes said lithium before they switched to dilithium. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, let's talk about Star a good service. episode of Star Trek instead. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, so our second episode. We, we, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying, we don't have much many takes about what Mudsman Mud, Mud no, so. said. Um, our second episode is Arena, Season 1, Episode 19. This aired 19th January, 1967. It was, teleplay was from Gene Alcoon, story by Frederick Brown, directed by Joseph Pevney. It takes place in the year 2267. Jackson, tell me about Arena. So, Okay. Here's what happens in Arena. Uh, the Enterprise are going to Cestus Three uh, to see the Commodore, uh, Commodore Travers. Memory Alpha yes. says, um, and they're all talking about like, ah, he sets a good table. I remember that line specifically. Yep. <laughs> um, when they beam down to meet this Commodore, the entire uh, like outpost is is completely destroyed. The Federation, uh, like they're like one of the only ships. Uh, in this sector of Federation space, uh, and the outpost has been completely destroyed, even though they had just talked to the guy like a second ago. Uh, so this is very confusing. Yep. They like immediately get like bombarded by uh, like artillery fire. Yeah. Um, which is mostly just the sound effect of <laughs> off screen. Yes. Uh, there's only about one or two explosions, but apparently that was enough to give everyone on set tinnitus. <laughs> yes, for like ever, <laughs> like yeah, permanent like hearing damage. Like, um, so good job, yeah. good, uh, good job all around. Um, uh, they're they're like dealing with this attack while uh, up um up in space, the Enterprise is um is uh dealing with like an alien starship that is fighting them. Yes. Um, <laughs> And Kirk has to call them to tell them to fire torpedoes. Yes, because Sulu won't do anything. Uh, and Kirk's like, no, you have to save the ship. We're down here. We'll deal with this. And so Spock is like trying to identify these life forms so they can fight back. And uh, Kirk's telling Sulu what to do. And everyone's doing combat roles in this burnt out field. And it's ridiculous. Yep. Red shells are dying everywhere. Yep. Everyone's getting hit. Yep. It's all bad. Uh, eventually, uh, the Enterprise leaves orbit. Um and so does the alien ship. Yep. Uh, and the crisis is momentarily over as they have to figure out what the fuck was going on here. Yeah. Uh, they find a survivor and take him to sickbay. Yep. Uh, and he's like, how did this happen? This happened a week ago. No one came. We tried to contact you. No one came. Everything like this, this came out of nowhere. What is happening here? Um, uh, and the Kirk realizes that if this happened a week ago, then this must have been a trap. We weren't ever talking to the Commodore. They knew we were coming, and they were leading us here to, like, try to kill us. Um, And he surmises from this that because this is such a weakly defended part of Federation space, like, right on the frontier, uh, this must be an invasion. This must have been, like, a trap to, like, take this ship out and then begin an invasion. So he orders them to immediately follow the alien ship um, and destroy them before they can reach their homeworld and begin this invasion. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of stuff happens the ship like mysteriously stops and then they're about to destroy them and they mysteriously stop and then the Metrons reveal themselves <laughs> yes they're like you are both uh, childlike violent races in our space we we need to, you to like we don't want you here this is an act of aggression we know how to fix this and then they take the captains from each ship and beam them to like put them on like an asteroid and you they have to fight to the death to figure out who will actually be the best and then the other ship will be destroyed yep uh this features kirk disappearing like without even a transporter port effect just gone yep. uh frame to frame and uhura gives a pretty good screen yep <laughs> it's a good screen solid screen yeah well like spock obviously because he spock kind of looks over and goes hmm. <laughs> yeah uh 
And then what follows is the Gorn fight. It is the Gorn fight. Yep. The, uh, uh, the mysterious ship was a Gorn ship, and the captain's a Gorn, and that means he's a giant lizard man in, like, a, like, ridiculous metal, like, onesie, and they fight, and they each have, like, universal translators, so they start communicating with each other, and the Gorn can talk, and Kirk has to build a cannon, because the... There's a bunch of the Metrons are like there are tools to kill each other on the planet, and Kirk surmises that means he could make gunpowder um, with the stuff, and he does. They give you a good chemistry lesson. He makes gunpowder. He shoots diamonds at the Gorn. Uh, the, the way this is communicated is by him going, "If only I could remember sulfur. What does it do?" And then Spock <laughs> explaining everyone on the bridge because the Metrons give them a live feed of what's going on. That if Kirk put these three things together, he would make black powder. Yep. Uh, so he he blasts the Gorn right before the Gorn's about to kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he decides not to murder him in cold blood after he has won, and then basically goes, "You can have your entertainment somewhere else. I do. I refuse to take part in this game any longer." At which point, obviously, the test is passed. The Gorn is being back uh, to his ship, and the Metron shows up in a cold might maneuver like way as a, just a twink. Um, <laughs> Uh, a metallic twink, thank you. Yeah, metallic he's twink. He's just basically like, like the Tin Man, but an angel. <laughs> yep. Uh, like with Greek robes. Yes. Um, and it's like, oh, you're still completely worthless, but maybe there's hope for you yet. Yeah, um, please come talk to us in thousands of years. As it's, as every single st- Star Trek plot that is mysterious organization or mysterious a- being that is like so far advanced past humans tests humans for reasons. When they invent Q, that all stops and goes to one place. Yep. Yeah, no, <laughs> it really to... does. <laughs> there, this is episode 19 of TOS and there might even be more, but this, I count four so far. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, God. Yeah, no. Uh, and yeah, that's the episode. Uh, the the tag is when he gets sent back. They like are in a different region of space because uh, the Metron are so powerful. They've just like transported them there without them even realizing. Mm-hmm. They have power beyond knowledge. Remarkable. Uh, but that's it. That's that's it. They're back. Yeah, they're back. They've they've exhibited mercy, so that means they're good. I guess. Uh, nothing happens for the entire second act though so also uh, there is like this ridiculous exchange where Kirk is like we're the most promising species Mr. Spock as Predators Goat did you know that and Spock's like I frequently had my doubts <laughs> uh, Spock's good yep yeah i like this episode a fair bit i don't think it's like amazing or anything so but it's fine it's hard to talk about this episode because like a lot happens but yes. the gorn fight itself specifically like when the gorn first arrives and they like swing at each other in the slowest fight scene ever put to film <laughs> is like is like a famous bit of kitsch filmmaking at this point like it's a pop culture icon like even beyond star trek itself yes uh, so that part's really weird. The part that surprised me is that the Gorn is actually like a really cool costume, and most of that stuff of them on the planet is pretty neat, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's like slow for a reason to establish that the Gorn is strong, but like reacts so slowly that like Kirk can always run away from the attacks, yep. even though it's just a matter of time before he is overpowered. Um so like they're doing that on purpose but the way they do it is just by having the gordon move really slowly and lucked into something that became iconic yes 
But like, also, also, like, Kirk is swinging a branch at, like, half speed because clearly the stuntman can't see out of that costume. And it's just a big rubber suit that he probably can barely move in. And they're in the desert. So it's probably, like, 120 in there. <laughs> this is a really good bit where, so the Gorn turns around at the beginning of the fight, uh, breaks off a huge branch, and is, like... A- tries to get Kirk with it. While the Gorn's walking over to him, Kirk's like, I'm gonna get my own branch. Tries to make up a branch, can't, <laughs> breaks off a smaller branch, like, stands with it, Gorn steps closer, just throws the branch away. Yes. <laughs> it was really yeah. funny. Uh, also good is, like, obviously the location is very iconic too of that rock. Yep. Um, has been in everything. What's much funnier is the parts where, like, the Gorn literally very clearly crosses a road. Yes. <laughs> There is a, a road there, like a dirt road in the middle of wherever this is, in uh, wherever it was, you know, uh, filmed. Yep. And he just crosses the road. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I. It's weird because Star Trek episodes don't really work like this anymore. Where like they're going to a planet, the planet's bombarded. There's like a whole action scene on the planet. Then they go and chase the Gorn, and then the Gorn and Kirk are beamed down, and then there's a like a fight, and then another alien. There's like so much happening in this episode. Yeah, but only for the first half, and then nothing happens. Sure, it's really like, weird. The way that the plot kind of like takes its twists and turns is very un Star Trek to me in terms of like what I think of as a traditional Star Trek episode. Um, like the fact that midway through this episode, everyone is be- like Kirk and the Gorn are beamed down to an asteroid to fight to the death, like comes out of nowhere given the setup that you have. Because the actual like him chasing the Gorn, this is the episode where he's like, "We're the police officers of this space," right? Doesn't he say that in this episode? <laughs> I think he's like, we're all that's, le- we're all that's out here. Yes. I so don't think he says it, police. It becomes like a statement of like the Federation's like, or Starfleet specifically is like job to be the like aggressor in space uh, when threats happen. And you could have a whole episode about that sort of stuff. And a later Star Trek absolutely would have an episode about that sort of stuff. But in actuality, like it ends up, oh, the Gorn, like the, this outpost was in Gorn territory. So the Gorn attacked because they're like, we're preserving our space. And none of it actually comes up as thematic material to grapple with because kirk's fighting a lizard man for 20 minutes yeah well i thought it was really interesting because like uh there's a bit the 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 bit between the first action scene and the second action scene is mostly filled with a debate between um kirk and spock over the intent of the unknown aliens at this point and kirk's like well it's definitely an invasion um and then uh spock is like i don't know and i don't know if we should murder them immediately i think we should maybe like have a bit of restraint here respect for sentient life like the colony is already dead we should try to work out what happened here uh and kirk's like no we like that was federation territory we must like uh fight against uh aggressors on our turf Uh, and then it like uh, is revealed that the gorn believe that um like that this was their space Mm. And that the Federation, like, themselves committed an invasion by starting an outpost there. Uh, And so they were just, like, taking back their soil. Um, Which checks out with everything I know about this era of Star Trek. This seems like a thing, uh, um, like, Federation colonists would do. And, like, like, you're right. Like, it just comes up and isn't really mentioned on. And grappling with it isn't even the point of the episode. It's just, like, a weird tension that's there. And it makes a lot of what um, Desperate Hours was doing make more sense. Yeah. Because uh, all that stuff is basically ripped from hit, like ripped from what is basically just a few throwaway lines in a couple scenes. Yeah. Because that, yeah, he fights the lizard man and has to remember basic chemistry. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but the fight is mostly fine. I think it goes on way too long because uh, you know what he's he you the time between you working out the it's gunpowder and him actually firing the thing is about fifteen minutes. 
Yeah. It takes so long. They watch him for so long. Go, oh, is he going to put it together? And you know he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's always interesting when a TV show, like a returning TV show, tries to do a very traditional uh, like plot based around who will win tension with a random baddie. Like, that's just bad booking. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I mean, you're not wrong, but booking is not what Star Trek is good at. No, which is why this episode's so strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's good. It's much better than Mud's Women. Yes, no, hundred uh, percent. I found this episode like relentlessly entertaining, and how goofy most of it was. It is consistently watchable. Also worth noting, Cestus Three, despite being bombed off face of the Earth, uh, within a hundred years is flourishing again because it is where Cassidy Yates's brother has played the first baseball game in two hundred years. <laughs> Correct. That is that is canon. It is also noted by Cisco as being on the other side of Federation space from where DS Nine is. So. Okay, so... Because they're like... Because the whole thing is it takes weeks for her to get dispatches from them. Okay. So now we know where Cestus 3 is. Yep. I'm trying to... I try to remember my map of the Alpha Quadrant where... I can't remember where DS9 is. I can't remember which way is which. I don't know anything about anything. So, you know, like, if the Alpha's in, like, the... Bo- if, like, four quadrants, Alpha's in the yeah, bottom Alpha's left. Alpha's bottom left. Yes. So yes. DS9 is, like... In that... In the Alpha Quadrant, it is kind of in, like, the northern part of it. Like, north middle. Okay. Um, the Gorn hegemony I know is in like the right side near the beta quadrant. It might even be in the beta quadrant. It's like near Klingon territory. Yeah, because the Klingon I know the Klingon stuff uh, territory is towards the right. Yeah. Um, and I know the Federation is towards the left. That's these are the things I know. Yeah. Uh, all very basic. Yep. But there we go. Anyway, that was Arena. Yeah, that's that it. That was Star Trek. We have two more episodes next month, of course, as always. Devil in the Dark and Amok Time. Both TOS. Uh, one is the last episode of season one. The other is the last episode of season two. Or first episode of season two. So, you know, easy to find on Netflix. It's going to be a good time. Yep. Uh, we'll be back after a short break with our book.
And we're back. Uh, Jackson helpfully reminded me that uh, season one of the original series has 29 episodes, not 26. So it's not the last episode of season one. My bad. I only remembered that because I remembered that Operation Annihilate was the final episode of season one. Right. We already did the final episode. Okay. Kirk's nephew. Yeah. Kirk's brother. Kirk's poor brother. Yeah, Kirk's nephew will be referenced in the book we are going to be reading. This book is The Ashes of Eden, a novel by William Shatner. This came out in 1995 it is written by Liam shatner and of course judith and garfield reeve stevens jackson tell us what the framing device and situation is for this book captain kirk is dead and spock is here to remember him spock stands on uh the the rocks of viridian 3 viridian 3 right i am correct yes i was about to ask if you knew viridian 3 in your gut or if you had to look it up (laughs) No, that was in my gut. Good. That wasn't. That was. That was a gut guess. I. I would. <laughs> I wanted to also know if I knew it myself. Good. 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 I'm. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, so Spock stands on Viridian Three, where Kirk has died. This is Kirk's second death. Um, a bridge on Captain. Uh, time of the fire in which he burned everything. Yeah. Um, so post generation Spock stands like thinking about how weird it is that like until an hour ago he thought that kirk was dead and now he is yes <laughs> uh and so he just stands in this rock thinking about how weird it is and thinks maybe there was one more story to tell yes. <laughs> and we cut to six months before generations of the the part no. of- yes we do but we do- that's not actually how that what we cut to, like, <laughs> we cut to when Kirk was about 25. So we cut to 40 years before the beginning of Generations. And there's a whole action scene uh, that involves... Um, the Farragut? Like, the Farragut, uh, and this, mo- this, like, cloud, the sentient cloud, and this uh, the ship being destroyed. Yes. Uh, and Kirk's... Re- and like Kirk's uh, rivalry with... Fuck, what's the name of this character in the book? Andrew main character in the book. Ow, Almodovar Drake. Andrevar Drake. Almodovar Drake. No. Yes. That's not what it is. We get, did I really think it was Almodovar Drake this whole time and it wasn't? It's Andrevar Drake. Like Andorian, but Andrevar. Andrevar Drake. Are you, are you sure? It's, God, it, I think it really... Yes, it is Andrevar Drake. Jesus Christ, I read that as Almodovar Drake the entire time. <laughs> Every... <laughs> God, I'm an idiot. Uh, anyway, when that sequence concludes, it is then revealed that that was actually a holodeck sequence, so Kirk had been, like, six months before Generations Old the whole time. Yes. And he was like, As I the can't holodeck- let them know how much this hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I am so old. <laughs> yes. So he is, basically everyone has been put out to pasture because everyone's old. This is after Generations, or not, uh, after Undiscovered Country. This is kind of in the cleanup of all of that. The Enterprise A has been decommissioned. Uh, everyone's like, oh, should we stay in Starfleet? Should we leave Starfleet? What are we going to do? Um, Kirk has, everyone assumed Kirk was going to retire, but in actuality, Kirk has just been signing up for teaching and stuff, but he's clearly miserable. Uh, it's a bad time for everyone. And there, it's in the lead up, like, the Enterprise B has already been announced, Captain Harriman's gonna get it, Kirk's like, the Enterprise without me, I can't imagine, blah blah blah. It's all very <laughs> angsty and dumb. Uh, yep, all the, um, 
like cadets he's teaching are like, oh, I know your every mission, sir. I've read all the files. You're so cool, Captain Kirk. God, you're so cool. And then Kirk just kind of stands around uh, while it's raining outside, and he's like hooked up with Karen Marcus again, but not really, but only to be sad. Uh, and it's like, oh, no one can truly he understand. Is, he, me. Is, Basically, he has attempted to hook up with Karen Marcus, but cannot perform because he's that sad and old. Uh, and he just looks like at the w- window at the rain and the, the book is like the tears he couldn't shed because uh, of how sad and old he is and how no one could truly understand like what he's going through uh, and what we're saying is this book is about what it's like to be William Shatner <laughs> so um, there's a book uh, called Voyages of Imagination which is about the Star Trek books that has excerpts of all of the authors and stuff reflecting on their books uh, and the oh editors. yes we and uh, I went through this, and it's it's a good time. We'll probably reference it a lot going forward in these books. Uh, well, when we read books before 2006, because this book came out in 2006. So mm-hmm. um, the editor of these books, Margaret Clark, uh, is noted as saying, uh, everyone sits down to do the outline where they come up with the core of the story together. What's the heart of the story? What's Kirk's motivation? Judy and Gar then go away and write a more detailed outline based on their meeting and their notes. It's a back and forth process that extends the execution of the manuscript. 95% of Kirk material in these books comes from Bill with gentle tweaks from Gar and Judy. They give the books their excellent continuity, which means that everything Kirk does or says or thinks in this book, you might as well assume comes straight from William Shatner's presuppositions about how Kirk is and how he relates to everyone and thus read every interaction with other characters is how he feels about his co-stars in Star Trek the original series it's it's so blatant it's so blatant like you might think we're reaching telling you now but the things we're gonna say no this is clearly what's going on so while he's off being sad uh Uhura and Chekhov are off trying to do an arms deal with the Klingons. Jackson, if people don't remember what happened in the Undiscovered Country, what's going on with the Klingons and the Federation right now? So, hang on, do I remember? Quick test. Um, Klingons uh, and the Federation have been uh, in somewhat of a cold war after things went bad. Uh, I think an Undiscovered Country is meant to be in like the 2050s, but I assume that's in Discovery now. Um, anyway, that happens. There's been a cold war for a while, uh, and there was an assassination attempt that the uh, Enterprise foiled, uh, and so the Kitama Conference was um, able to go ahead you, and no, a no, truce no. was so, formed. So this stuff, Undiscovered Country is like 2290s. Yes. Yes, you said 50s. No, I said that the um, the conflict between... T- Undiscovered Country establishes that the conflict between the Klingons and the F- Federation got hot in 2050s. Mm-hmm. I assume that got moved to Discovery. Or in, like, 2020s, I think it was. Discovery's 2050s, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, but what happened was the Klingon moon praxis exploded, and the Klingon right, Empire yeah. is, like, basically falling apart. It's the collapse of the Soviet Union, but in Star Trek. That's what happened. And so yes. there was a, a peace effort made, and then some Klingons tried to sabotage the peace efforts by killing the Klingon Chancellor, and it turned out that it turned out, but only in the director's cut of Star Trek The Undiscovered Country or the novelization, that those Klingons were working with Admiral Cartwright, who was one of the like major admirals in Starfleet, uh, and because there were Starfleet people who couldn't let go of the old war and old racial prejudices also. And so they arrested or killed, I don't remember, Admiral Cartwright. And there, this book operates off of that. So there, there's shaky peace efforts between the Klingons and the Federation, but... 
uh, their efforts on both sides are like, no, we don't want this to go forward. And there was like a flushing of conspirators and Admiral Cartwright's conspiracy to sabotage the peace talks and assassinate the Klingons and the Federation president uh, that currently went underway. And so everyone's kind of like in this weird, who do we trust uh, Cold War mentality still, even though the uh, the equivalent of the wall has fallen. Yep. Plus, um, the director's cut obviously wasn't like out. I think it was a DVD thing in 2003 or something mm-hmm. um, around then. Uh, when those scenes actually came out, the only way you would have known about Admiral Cartwright was the novelization. And this takes it as like the most important plot point in that movie. Yes. <laughs> it's really strange. Yep. Um, but is key for reasons that will later come up. So anyway, Uhura and Chekhov are posing as criminals who have been kicked out of the Federation and are trying to buy Klingon warships because they need to figure out who the, the like people who are sitting on old Klingon material, uh, who they might be working with in accordance with the Federation. Uh, they, during like a mission to buy some ships, get a piece of information about a mysterious word they don't understand. Uh, and their contact at Starfleet Intelligence basically like goes rogue immediately and tries to kill them because whatever information they got is too intense and too mysterious. Yep, they get left like to die in an airlock, but then they are mysteriously and magically beamed out to the last second by none other than Sulu on the Excelsior. Yep, who has been watching them the whole time, uh, but... And thus begins. <laughs> thus begins. Because Chekhov's like, we, we almost died, and you've been watching us this whole time and didn't do anything. And he's like, I had my orders. That, that, I'm, I'm Sulu. I, I do my job. And Chekhov basically tries to kill him because Chekhov is like a whiny baby who needs everyone to take care of him. And if that isn't happening, he's going to re- he tries to murder everyone who does not take care of him. <laughs> So Chekhov is the other point of view character in this book. The scenes with uh, them trying to like um, do this undercover mission are all written from his perspective. Most of the non-Kirk scenes um, are written from his perspective uh, first and foremost. Uh, and he is just the biggest coward who has ever been. It's kind of incredible. Like he just complains about everything and says everything's a bad idea. But he and like makes the wrong decision constantly. And all he thinks about is what would Captain Kirk think of me? What would Captain Kirk think of me? Uh, whereas Sulu is like also a coward, but like one that uh, is respected because even I don't, though he's I don't agree. Who I don't t- agree with your read of Sulu, but go ahead. I'll let you finish. I meant respected by uh, William Shatner. I don't think Sulu is a coward. I think Chekhov thinks Sulu is a coward. Mm-hmm. I just mean that, like, he is the most, uh, Sulu is the most, um, in line with the, like, bad orders and unwilling to question them. Yes. Well, uh, so, so Chekhov's like, oh, you, 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 all you do is you're just a Federation stooge. You'll just follow the letter of the law and you don't understand. Captain Kirk taught us that we need to do the right thing, not the correct thing. And that's important. And Sulu's like, you child. Like, I am captain of one of the best ships in this fleet. You are out here doing crime shit because no one will give you a shit because nobody trusts you. Uh, Sulu is like this inscrutable, like, letter of the law guy, but he is like, he's the person who's going to get shit done. Like, he's broken off everyone. He's like the outsider. He runs his own ship. He does, he like, he is aloof from the rest of the crew of like the original Enterprise at this point because yep. he's on the Excelsior. <laughs> so basically, uh, William Shatner basically, like, to me, sees him as like, he could be my equal. I can't tell. He's so inscrutable, which is racially <laughs> problematic to, talk about the one asian man is inscrutable 
Yep. Uh, it's all bad. It's all bad. Uh, but William Shatner, on the other hand, big fan of uh, Spock and McCoy. And back on Earth yeah, no. is hanging out with them at a... Oh, what was the like uh, official so uh, ceremony? So what's happening is... Uh, uh, and and uh, Andrevar Drake is being assigned as commander in chief of Starfleet, and uh, Kirk and both and uh, Chekhov both think this is a terrible idea for reasons that haven't been revealed yet. But everyone thinks it's because they have this long rivalry going back from when Kirk was the lieutenant on the Farragut, is established in the holodeck scene. It is not just yep. that. <laughs> no. Kirk can never just have a grudge. It has to be, like, canonized into the correct opinion morally. Uh, we might as well just tip our hand. So what happened is a long time ago, Kirk t- went to Chekhov and said, please investigate this because you are the only one who can do this job, which I don't think is true, but whatever. And Chekhov has been keeping tabs on Andrevar Drake for seemingly decades at this point now. And what has happened is, like, when Kirk went off back into space when he was an admiral, uh, Andrevar Drake got really deep into, like, shitty politics and has been like back wheeling Starfleet deals this entire time. Uh, he is the person who gave protomatter to David Marcus to build the Genesis device. And maybe he gave yes, it on purpose is. knowing it would end, lead to his death and create a super weapon. Who can say? Who can say? That bastard. Yeah. <laughs> he killed my son. So Chekhov and Kirk both think that Drake is like actually evil and should not be put in charge of the Federation. Everyone else is like, no, we'll wait and see. Who can say? And then it's immediately revealed that no, actually he is evil. <laughs> yes. He is the uh, last well, of Cartwright's is... conspirators. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right, because that, that's the tension, but then they just have a random scene. Like, it's a bit skipping ahead, but they just have a random scene with everyone in it, and they just go, okay, I'm evil. He closes the door and basically goes, yes, I am evil, and here's my plan. Yes, and <laughs> the, the agent who tried to kill Uhura and Chekhov is actually his daughter, and she's also evil. Yes, they're both evil, because and every it, it's like the biggest, like, oh, all the questions have been answered and just put a bow on it, I guess. Yep. There's still half of this book to go. Yes. Uh, because the main plot of this book... Uh, revolves around Kirk and a woman who is referred to constantly as a child. So, so what happens at the at the reception for uh, End of Our Drake? Uh, this woman shows up and she is half uh, half Klingon, half. Do they do they say Romulan or do they say Vulcan? I think they assume Vulcan. They first. assume Vulcan that they can't tell, but then in the next chapter they just start saying, "Oh, Klingon Romulan." Yes, uh, and even before the reason is revealed. <laughs> yeah, so she is some sort of hybrid, and Kirk immediately thinks she's the most beautiful woman, even though he's like, "These are my two most hated races, people I fought against my entire life." But this woman has taken all of their aspects and made them noble and beautiful, and it's really bad. <laughs> It's just really... Also, this is Kirk in Generations, when William Shatner is probably in his, what, 60s, I would assume? Uh, I mean, he is 66 in the book, they say. Okay. This woman is described as being 20. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, the the, the re- she is, like, mysteriously young. Not just young, she is mysteriously young. Everyone uh, else that she knows is mysteriously young, and she's like... Come, come to our planet and help us. We have a fountain of youth, basically. We have the, like the secret of our planet is youth. So no, and you're getting a little ahead of yourself. A little ahead, but I wanna, I wanna, we'll we'll go through that. But I wanna stress that like when he says this is the most beautiful person I've ever seen, literally her defining characteristic, magically given to her, is her youth, and that's it. It's fucking creepy. I also think the part where she is like like a biracial character of the villains and he's like oh she's hot now is also problematic in its own special way thank you okay fair enough it's all 
it's basically every decision you could make to make the wrong one. So he's about to meet her at this reception, but then uh, Androvar shows up and ruins everything. We're just going to call him Admiral Drake because his first name is hard to pronounce. Anyway, uh, Admiral Drake shows up and ruins everything. And then later he's at his farm, his old Kirk farmstead in Iowa, because he's like, well, no one else in my family is alive to take it over. There's my nephew on uh, on Deneva, but he all he took was the rocking chair. And this makes canon dubious canon because the Shatterverse is the most dubious well, of canon. canon. Uh, that after the events of Operation Annihilate, his nephew went back to the thing, the colony on Deneva, where his family was killed, to live for the rest of his life. Yep. <laughs> but he got a chair out of it, so I guess it's fine. It's such a weird throwaway thing. Yes. Everyone was murdered there. They killed everyone. Anyway, he's he he's at this farm and this lady shows up. Her name is Talani and she introduces herself and she's like, I've got a proposition for you. I need your help. I need someone with ex- military experience to come with me and help protect my planet. This planet's called Chal. It's on the Klingon-Romulan border and we want Federation aid but we, like, since we're in Klingon space, they're not going to really help us and Admiral Drake... Uh, oh, we, I was pointed at you as someone who might have the abilities to do this, but is willing to go around Federation saying, we can't do anything. That's Klingon space. Um, and then they get attacked by other people from Shawl, and they're also hybrid Klingon Romulans, and they're all very young, and Kirk beats them up because he's an old man and is good at things. Uh, well, he lays some kind of weird trap that has to be established in other ways. Yes. So he lays a trap, and he hides in the cellar, and they use escape tunnels, and it's dumb. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they they leave, and he's like, we're going to need a ship. And she's like, don't worry, I got a ship. And he's like, what did you get? And she's like, I got the Enterprise because it was about to be mothballed. And there's like a basically like a recycling program the Federation has where ships that are going to be decommissioned can be requisite, uh, like requisitioned by like non-military personnel. And they'll just take out the military stuff and give you a starship. But actually, it wasn't that because like so there's like yes, three levels but First that off, thing that it's thing that training games yes it was originally going to be basically blown up by cadets as like admiral drake rubbing kirk's nose in it by destroying his ship on trivial bullshit but then it's like oh it was just given to us as like a um as that recycling program yeah yeah uh <laughs> but then you find out i think you actually find out about now that it was actually given to her by drake uh as like tipping her off to um kirk that um oh kirk will go around everything kirk will help you out just just uh just ask kirk he'll do whatever but you don't need. tell him i sent you <laughs> yes don't tell him i sent you and the thing that is unclear because this is the mysterious question for the book is is she a spy for drake uh or did drake just tell her that and she believed him yes <laughs> so is she a spy or is she an idiot um Meanwhile, Kirk tells his friends that he's retiring from Starfleet and going off to this planet in Klingon space with this 20-year-old, and everyone spends the next, like, 50 pages yelling at him and telling him how stupid of an idea this is. So this, uh, you can take this just if you want to headcanon it yourself, which I do, um, as if uh, Shatner comes in and says, Kirk would do this, Kirk would say this, and then leaves. <laughs> um, uh, Judith and Garfield then have every other character say, you're crazy. You're having the world's biggest mislife crisis. You have to stop. You are insane. Please stop this. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. Uh, he visits, like, Spock's... Is it Spock's apartment or McCoy's apartment? I think it's Spock's apartment, right? I think it's Spock's apartment. Yes, and he's shocked that Spock has, like, 
alcohol there because McCoy visits all, all the time and he wants to have a bar so McCoy can drink there. <laughs> Which is like the oh, most beautiful touch yes. in the world of those two just hanging out on Earth, drinking, arguing they, constantly. No one has ever loved to hang out and argue more. Yes. No, it's you and me and it's Kirk and or Spock and McCoy. That's it. <laughs> it's us. Yep. A friendship goals, as they say. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they all tell Kirk this is a bad idea. Kirk gets his feelings extremely hurt, being like, how could you say this? Like, this is the only <laughs> thing that's giving you meaning. I, I'm i going to be like, I'm going to like have a purpose. I'm going to get the ship back. It's going to be great. And the only person who decides to sign up for this is Scotty, who is like, well, the ship's coming back. I need to fix the ship. It's my job to fix the ship. If I don't but do even it, Even while will? he's fixing the ship, he's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yes. No. He's like, <laughs> I need to watch out for you. My job is to fix both the ship and your psyche. This is dumb, but I'm going to keep the ship together because the ship has been like gutted also. Like all of the like torpedo tubes, except for one, have been taken out and communications uh, consoles has been removed. Like it's just been gutted of all the uh, technology that's in there. Which leads to one of the hilarious, cool things that happens. Um, uh, We are skipping the other plot, but there is a point where on this journey they have to like, okay, we need to get this technology working, but we don't actually, we can't just go to federation and uh refit the enterprise so they just take some parts from the station um and essentially refit the enterprise well, yeah they cling on disruptors they, they go and do the exact same thing check off and uhura were doing as part of like a sting operation and go buy de- like yep. stolen klingon technology from klingons who don't care because the empire is falling apart yeah and then the enterprise just has klingon disruptors yes <laughs> instead of photon torpedoes yep which uh, come in real handy later on. <laughs> yeah, turns out. Turns out. Anyway, um, while they do this, Admiral Drake brings in the rest of the Enterprise crew and basically is like, I'm going to tell you what's going on since you're all investigating on your own. I'm working with Spock and McCoy. We're trying to figure out what this strange super weapon is. We think it's on the planet Chal, and we don't know what it is, but we need to go get it before it's misused. And they're like, and, and Chekhov's like, who do you think is going to misuse a weapon like that? And he's like, I will tell you, James T. Kirk. And everyone like gasps and Chekhov like basically breaks down in tears and is sad that his captain is considered <laughs> evil. And uh, there's this big conversation about how, no, clearly he's having a midlife crisis and he's probably being duped into doing something he's going to regret. And that's why I need you enterprise crew to go and watch him and bring him in and arrest him if need be. And then the instant everyone leaves the room, Chekhov is aghast when Spock is like, I don't think he's telling the truth, but we're going to go anyway, because we're the main characters in a Star Trek show. We need to go make sure that the captain's okay. And then if he is crazy, we'll bring him back. But otherwise, we'll just try to help him out. <laughs> What's great about this is that they this is the point where the scene uh, of him just revealing that he's evil comes he's yes. in the back room talking to his daughter. Uh, because if they hadn't had that, this would just be a need for speed situation. No one knows, except you knows what that means. Yes. Um, where the main character is just perfectly reasonable. <laughs> yes. Like the main villain just comes up and goes, we, I don't think Kirk's evil, but something's going on here. And we should probably find out what it is and we should all help him. And I, she, as his friends, you would all agree that you want to help him too. That's basically his, like what he pitches to them. Yes. Except because Kirk has hated him for like 40 years, he's clearly <laughs> a bad guy. So they have to establish it for no, like, like it doesn't make sense for the twist to hit there, but they have to establish it because otherwise you'd just be like going, he's clearly the villain the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> they need to actually give him the evil stuff because he doesn't say or do anything evil other than kind of piss off Kirk. Yep. So Kirk and the Enterprise get to Shawl, and the thing with Chal that Talani tells him is that it is 
like the actual fountain of youth and kirk basically is like i don't believe you whatever uh we'll go see when we're there but when he gets there he's like oh i'm actually feeling better i'm feeling younger i'm feeling more spry my shoulder doesn't hurt maybe this is actually a paradise um and what he proceeds to do is spend like the next three weeks uh fucking this lady that he met (laughs) Yep. Everywhere. Yeah, he does do that. Just everywhere. Yep. Everywhere. Because there's a scene where he's like, Scotty comes to his quarters and he he's like, he didn't even think to pick up all the clothes and then knocked over furniture. <laughs> and it's embarrassing, Kirk. <sighs> oh, William Shatner. I don't think William Shatner's ever fucked. I bet that he has fucked too much and needs to be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I would ontologically argue there's not really a difference between those two positions. <laughs> I guess that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) William Shatner's book, Ashes of Eden, is my proof. Um, he then tells Scotty why what is it, child, like the mystery of the fountain of youth, and that's why they need to protect the enterprise the enterprise needs to be there for protection because if people found out they would come and swarm the planet and uh, Scotty's like, you're crazy. I'm not going down to that planet. Clearly she's like poisoned you or something because this is not the Jim Kirk. I know. Yep. Uh, I think the, uh, so what they say is that this was a colony um, that the Klingons and Romulans made like as a joint effort. Yes. um, And then was like abandoned because they didn't see any profit in it. Uh, But the, um, uh, the like people who were raised there chose to stay because they couldn't like go back to Romulus or uh, to Kronos because like uh, t- like neither side would accept them. Yeah, because now those um, sides hate each other. Yes, <laughs> yeah, they sure do. Yep. Um, and there's a like there's, this is clearly a super weapon or something banned, but no one really knows why it's a weapon or what's actually going on or what this is. Anyway, before that can actually be investigated the plot happens and everyone starts fighting. Yes. So, uh, the, like everyone on the Excelsior, the TOS crew show up and they're like following Kirk's trail and they run across some Klingons that they think are from the Klingon government. Uh, but then quickly decide that no, they're not actually from the Klingon government because Admiral Drake shows up and starts ordering the Klingons around and the Klingons just listen to him. And thus they're like, maybe these are mercenaries that are like cast off the Klingon government that he's hired. Maybe he's actually evil. And guess what he is? He's really evil. He's so evil. But they basically like are able to like sneak past him and concoct their own plans by basically like doing the Star Trek thing of like not admitting that he could be evil and just listening to his orders until they leave the room. And it's the most obvious ploy, but he falls for it because he's an admiral. (laughs) And then they're like, oh, we actually can't listen to your orders because your orders contravene section C of this book. And therefore, if you were... To prove that you're not evil and to prove that you are worthy of being in command, you have to relinquish your command so we can try- put you on trial and then you don't have anything to worry about. And he's like, oh, fuck, I've been owned. <laughs> yep. Anyway, uh, while that happens, Kirk is helping Teilani, like fight her civil war because there's like a civil war that... Against the anarchists. Yes, the anarchists. And then he like actually manages to question anarchist and realize that he's being lied to, that the anarchists actually just want to destroy uh, this thing in uh, in like center of the city, the only city on Chal that is, they call the armory. And Teilani's like, it's like a power center. I don't know. We were never allowed in there. And Kirk was like, well, obviously we need to go there. And she's like, no, it's forbidden. He's like, no, no, no. Look, honey, I've done this before we need to go there yep yeah yeah it's a bit and whatever clearly the actual plot of the book is waiting in that building yes and guess what it is <laughs> yeah 
So they head down there. Yep. And meanwhile, Drake has like taken the Klingon ships and is headed back to the planet and is going down there too. Yep. Uh, what is? I forgot what's in the what's in the armory. How because they go there and it's like. It's like huge, and the yes. lights are turning so on they, when they're walking through. So they think it's a power station, and then they have Scotty like examine it, and it turns out that it's actually like these vast underground caverns that are all like shielded from sensors. But he's like, I think you could beam in there. So he beams them in there, and Kirk and Tilani show up, and then everything activates, and it's basically like a doomsday arc of like dozens and dozens of Romulan ships and disruptors and Klingon warbirds and disruptors, and yeah. the history of both empires and their uniforms. And what it turns out is that the people of Chal were created as like a sort of like doomsday scenario. They will carry on the race. They have been genetically engineered to be like forever young super beings. They're like basically Klingon Romulan augments that have been genetically engineered. Oh, right. And they even have like human organs transplanted into them to make them like the hardiest species in the galaxy, um, which is why everyone's young. It just so happens that that youth is not transferable because it has to do with them being, well, I guess technically it is, but not in the way you think where like the planet doesn't make these people young. These people are just young because of their unique biology. And they're meant to like, once the Federation have destroyed everything, they're meant to rise up and take back the Klingon and Romulan empires and rule the galaxy. Yep. Uh, but then, um, as they are like dealing with this, Drake beams in. Drake's daughter beams like, in. Oh, Drake's daughter beams in. Yep. Um, and is like, haha, looks like you are done for now. Uh, and in actuality is like this, uh, this stuff is, is actually transferable. If we kill the people of Shaw, we can transplant their organs into us and that will give us the augment live forever power. That's how biology works. Yeah. That's how it works. And basically it's, it's like I mean, look, you you've can... you've seen Metal Gear Solid 2. It's basically if you transplant an arm, you get the powers of the arm. Yeah, Captain Kirk will live on through this arm. Yeah. Um is that at I mean to be fair, Captain Kirk has to come back in the next book in ways that I assume are at least in the ballpark of as ridiculous as Metal Gear Solid 2. Actual nanomachines will be in the next book, so... Okay, so, yeah. So, okay, so that's, I mean, that's MGS4 territory, yes. which is much worse, but sure. I'll go with it. <laughs> anyway, so basically he's presented with this choice of uh, you can kill your OC and get your dream, or you can fuck your OC and lit die. <laughs> yes, and, and his answer course... is to blow up everything. <laughs> Yeah, he blows up everything. He gets a beam out. Uh, uh, no, he, when he go, when he gets, the, he like hits the computer and the lights go out and everything. And the, uh, uh, Drake's daughter is like upset because the library is like a weird. It's old computer, so the minute he shoots like one node, the whole thing like just vaporizes or whatever. And then mm-hmm. as she's like screaming as everything's blowing up, he grabs Taylani and he's he. The book's like he said the words that he had never said before. Beam me up, Scotty. Oh fuck, he does do that. Yes. He? in a book (laughs) okay so in a book where it is literally written for captain kirk to fuck his 20 year old oc like that is the entire reason this book exists somehow the most embarrassing thing is it is saying beam me up scotty yep you gotta get them star trek's weird you gotta you gotta it's the thing it is the thing Yep. Then they have to deal with Drake, actually, on the ship. Yeah, they... What are they... 
Well, what happens is they're like getting completely oh, destroyed by these right. these these, uh, these ships, but they realize that they haven't calibrated their shields properly because they think no, that... it's that that happened before, and we didn't even mention it because it's not actually oh. important. What actually oh. happens <laughs> is the Drake's like Drake's like, oh, my daughter's dead, and all this is ruined. I know how to fix this. I will slingshot back in time, and he warps oh, to the right. to the sun to do the Star Trek Four slingshot to go back to before the book and fix everything. <laughs> That does happen, doesn't it? Fuck. I'd eat. That's such a throwaway plot point, and it's crazy. Yes. And so Kirk pursues the Enterprise, and he's like, he doesn't know how to do it properly. We've done this before, Scotty. We can stop him and prevent him from going back in time. And so they stop him, but they stop him, like, basically, like, right next to the sun. So both ships are about to burn up. And so Kirk is there, like, talking to Admiral Drake as Drake's in a Klingon ship, and both ships are about to burn up in the sun. And he's like, uh we're here, we're going to die together. And Drake's like, this is exactly what I wanted. If I can't win, I'm going to at least take you out. And then Kirk's like, yeah, about that. And then the Excelsior beams Kirk and Scotty onto the Excelsior, leaving the Enterprise and Drake's ship to burn up in the sun. And they're dead. Goodbye. I swear there's a moment of like Kirk being like, I will definitely save you, for I am the bigger man, for my forgiveness oh, is they, all you they crave ask in life. Him, they ask him to take turn uh, to lower his shields. And he's like, yes. I will not lower my shields. I will not submit to your betterness as like the actual good captain in Star Trek. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Drake's such a dumb character. <laughs> yes. Uh, the thing that didn't matter that happened uh, that we didn't actually say was... Uh, in the first fight, they win it because Drake doesn't realize that the Enterprise is outfitted with Klingon disruptors and has like uh, tuned his shields to block uh, photon torpedoes, and so they just come out of nowhere with these disruptors and bypass the shields. Which I think that's how shields <laughs> yeah, work. I, say, I don't think that's how shields work at all. But then, I mean, uh, Lurs and Bator were able to destroy the Enterprise by just getting the shield frequency and like turning their phasers to that frequency and shooting through the shield. So who knows? Yeah, but that's also stupid. <laughs> yes, no, it's very stupid. It's the worst part of Generations. And that's a movie full of stupid things. That's a movie where Data goes, oh shit. Yep. Time is the fire in which we burn. They kill Picard's family. <laughs> for no reason. Yes. Just for a bit. Just for fun. Just so when uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell says, time is the fire which we burn, Patrick Stewart's like, oh, just like my family burned in that fire like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, just so there can be a literal time fire in which his family, but it's, it's stupid. And it's not even the one that makes you the most mad. Anyway, the Enterprise A is dead. Admiral Drake is dead. He has been revealed as like part of Cartwright's conspiracy. Spock and everyone will go back and set things right. Kirk decides to go back with them. He's like, I can't be on Shaw. This is not the place for me. I, it's not actually a fountain of youth. I've realized that just being passionate about the universe is the thing that will keep me young. And he gives Teilani the Enterprise A dedication plaque and says goodbye and beams off and fucks off into space again. Yep. He fucking breaks up with her. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because what has actually happened is that she was an idiot who fell in love with James T. Kirk. And that you, we know how that goes. Yeah, it doesn't go well for you. No. Um, but <laughs> she's got augment parts inside her that keep her young forever. Yep. This is not the only augment-related plot to do with Klingons that uh, Garfield and Ru- Garfield, uh, the Reeve Stevens have involvement in. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is the least silly of the two. Mm. Mm. <laughs> 
All right. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, he goes back to Earth. Everything is done. We go back. He's got to go die now. We go back to Viridian 3. Yes. Spock says, oh, the book has Spock saying the words, Commander Riker. And I go, oh, that's, I know that guy. <laughs> yes, because Riker's overseeing them taking apart the Enterprise saucer section because it crashed here. And there's a planet of people nearby who are going to eventually come here and they can't just leave a giant saucer. Yep, they have to like completely clear Viridian Three of any evidence that uh, other life forms were here. Yep. Um, so that when uh, so they don't end up like inadvertently breaking the Prime Directive, because as ever, it only matters during like moments of dramatic convenience. To be fair, not leaving the saucer section of a galaxy class starship just seems like good manners. <laughs> Oh sure, but he like talks about how like there's a crew who is scouring for air, like bits that were falling off. They're using like intense sensors. This is like a huge operation. Yep. Um, but as 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 this is happening, he's like, oh, and also that means that Kirk's body has to go somewhere else. It won't even be buried here. This grave will be disappeared soon. All traces of Kirk must be uh, removed. And as if on cue. <laughs> Well, so, no, Kirk, or Riker gets a communication. He's like, oh, there's like a weird disturbance back at the salvage site. Uh, I'm going to be back. We'll be back, Spock, to take Kirk's body. And Spock's like, I'll just remain here, I guess. And uh, Riker beams out into the next book. And then Spock is like watching from this, like up on this rock. And he sees what looks like a firefight in the sky as ships are fighting in the atmosphere. And he's like, hmm, fascinating. And then a beam out signal happens where Kirk's body is. And he sees the light from underneath the rocks. And he goes, hmm, extra fascinating. And he goes down to where Kirk is buried and all the rocks have fallen in. And then it's like, oh, some voyages never end or whatever the last line of this book is. It's, it's yeah, it's like maybe somehow uh, it's really dumb. Oh, it's, anyway, Kirk it's, back. It's, Kirk, it's Spock being like, well, there are always possibilities, which is the last. <laughs> God, what a stupid book. Uh, anyway, Kirk's coming back next time. The return. Yeah, it's, it's called The Return. return. Kirk that's, is on the cover. That's who returns. It's not someone else returning, unless it is also, and that's like a dumb twist. But... I assume that it's just Kirk's return. Yes, it is. On the cover of the book is half Picard face, half Kirk face. It's like, what if Star Trek Generations, but dark. <laughs> uh, also of note is the fact that the reason this book exists is because uh, the Reeve Stevens previously wrote a book called Federation, which came out in 1994 and has clearly just got the pitch of what if Generations but good. <laughs> like, it is Kirk and Picard. I think it's the, the two crews are both involved and everyone's teaming up in some way. But you can only do it in a book you'd have to fucking negotiate salaries. Yes. Uh, but yes, I want to read that, that one at some point. Uh, but we'll get that next time as well. Jackson, how did you find The Ashes of Eden? It's incredibly readable, but it's not very good. No, it's really not very good. <laughs> um, like, take it on face value. It's incredibly creepy, and <laughs> the characters are all the most just naked, just, this is what I think about this guy, this is what I think about this guy, and all the things that Kirk wants are going to come true, and he's the most perfect person, even though the book is not self-aware that the actual plot is Kirk's a huge idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's just a kind of a bad book, but if you enjoy like Star Trek and also enjoy projecting onto William Shatner as a huge doofus, um, there's there's fun to be had here, and we had it. Um, worth noting, there is a comic adaptation of this book that someday we will have to read. 
Oh, yes. Yep. Yes, we will. <laughs> yep. We certainly will. Also worth noting is that last month, uh, we both marked out for something Georgie did, which was, to be fair, the coolest shit oh, right, in the world, yes. uh, where she beamed a phaser from orbit to stun uh, uh, the the city of the colonists. Yes. Um, in this book, that also happens, but just kind of offhandedly. And it's, it's the not nearly as cool. Thing. And yeah, it sucks. Nope. I'm glad we read, didn't read this first, because otherwise it'd be far less cool when Georgie did it. <laughs> oh, when Georgie did it, it was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's it. Next time we will read The Return. Um, I think that's it. We don't have questions. This Everything's been kind of up in the air. And we had not asked for questions. So, um, Jackson, would you Hello. please plug our podcasts? All right. You can find all of our podcasts at abnormalmapping.com. We have Abnormal Mapping. It is a game club at thebestgame.club. We play video games. It's a good time. Come and enjoy us discourse free. It's good. Uh, me and Molly have the Amory score at INeedMayo.com launching uh, around the same time as this, maybe in a couple of days, maybe the week before. I don't, I don't know the schedule because of how everything is at the moment. Uh, we have just begun or are beginning uh, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. That is I'm the full so title of the I'm so mad that I know what Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4 means, and it's stupid. <laughs> Yes, th- th- these are all endorsements for the Amory score. Apollo's a dog. <laughs> he is a dog. He is a dog. He is a dog of uh, nebulous and changing breed. <laughs> of he's a very indeterminate but lengthy age. <laughs> Owned by a woman named Nuo Ikin, right? And she doesn't. Owned by a woman named Nuo Ikin. She doesn't matter yes. at all. Uh, there. Preview for the next album, there is a whole song revolving around Nuo where the chorus is like, I'm leaning on you, Nuo, and I don't know what that's about, but we'll go see. Okay. <laughs> yep. uh, anyway, that's a good podcast. Uh, we also have, let's see if I've forgotten any, we have Fireside Friends, uh, which is Ryan Allen's podcast, uh, which you can listen at firesidefriends.net. I think Katie's rejoining the host of that, so yeah. you, should, um, you should listen to that. Uh, and you, Jen, and Colin are doing Novel Not New. Yep. Uh, also of indeterminate schedule with everything at the moment. Yes. Um, uh, but that is a podcast where you uh, read and play visual novels and talk about them. Yep. People seem to be into it so far. Yeah. Um, is that, does that have a website or is it just that novel? No, the, it's just abnormalmapping.com slash novel not new. Yep. Uh, do you do this part? I forgot. Yes, I know I you changed part. how it yes, went and I no, forgot. I right, I'm handing part. over to you now. I did my bit. All of our podcasts are supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. Uh, you know, various levels. At $5, you get writing for me and Jackson every week. Uh, at 10 you can be on a podcast. Someone recently said they wanted to be on this show, so that will happen in the future. It'll be very exciting. The books that they floated for us to read are all really bad, so... Oh, I did No, because they gave us one that probably to be bearable. Anyway. For... Uh, yes. If you pledge $1 a month, you will get The Great Gundam Project, which is our weekly watch through of the entirety of all of Gundam two episodes at a time again this is on been on hiatus for the past two weeks and uh it should probably be back by the time this goes up it'll probably be that same week would be my guess so we're about to start uh mobile suit Zeta Gundam so please be excited for that yes uh I am on Twitter at em underscore being uh I think that's it I'm on Twitter uh, head falls off yes um yeah, that I think that's everything. You can send questions or feedback at podcastabnormalmapping.com. We will be back next Monday. I... Go, go ahead. 
I was gonna say I would like to apologize for my microphone in this episode. Thank you. Okay. There you go. I had to turn it down like midway through because I realized it was. If I'm if I'm bumping, it's because my levels were too high. So okay. Just know uh, that I know. I'm sorry. Come back next Monday or Tuesday for our next discovery episode about episode eleven at that no uh, twelve at that point. God, it's gonna be over before you know it. That's it. We're done. Go home. Okay. I will see you out there. <laughs> Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? To hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. Tough young guys, sinewy bodies in their fingers and teeny toes challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love. There is a passionate affair going on between Kirk and the mountain. Kirk is on the Kirk is on the mountain. Now, in order to create that illusion, sucking some of the most sensational men who not only climb are voracious, fleeting, and elusive, and peripheral, and that's putting me on the mountain. Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Hold it, please. Hug the mountain, envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. To envelop that mountain with hug the mountain. That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. And the climb is going where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. Challenge the rock, challenging death. Why do I climb the mountain? Because I'm in love.